Welcome. Thank you for coming on to the Hempsons podcast. This is a, a series of primary care podcasts that we have. And today you have got Justin Cumberledge and I am a partner in our London commercial team and uh, Robert McCartney. And we're going to be talking about preparing your PCN for 2024 and beyond. So um, I'm just going to hand you over to Robert. Thanks, Justin. So, yes, my name is Robert McCartney. Um, I'm relatively new at Hempson's and uh, joined a short while ago, but I've been working in primary care for uh, many years now with a combination of in-house and uh, uh, in-practice support. So I've got a very practical view on how to apply some of this, some of the changes. So you're going to have a bit of a conversation between Robert and I about what we think the future lies for uh, PCNs. I mean, Robert, they've been around now since 2019. How, what do you feel PCNs have achieved in that time? An awful lot, to be honest. I, I think people can step back and uh, really look at a huge amount of change. Yes, some PCNs are still struggling and still in the early days. But if you look at those who have really developed um, and taken the uh, opportunities that have become available to maximise the revenue, they've made some massive changes to the way they're delivering services, the way they're helping their practices and the way they're securing money for their practices. Absolutely. I mean, they've really some some PCNs or oh, practices have really upped their game, haven't they? And it was such a shock when it came in in 2019. I mean, there's so little preparation and no one knew about data sharing and um, the whole lot of unknowns. And yet, particularly with COVID, um, it was almost as if someone had been thinking about a pandemic coming along yeah, when they formed PCNs in a hurry, because uh, some of them really came into their own during that period. Well, that is a particularly interesting example of how you don't realise that you're preparing for something when you actually are. I, I, when they were first announced in early uh, 2019, I don't think anybody was really prepared for them. Even if you were some of the kind of pilot sites, some of the uh, um, sites that were being used by the uh, NAPC, they didn't really uh, understand exactly what was going to be announced by the government. Um, and the fact that they've been able to develop so quickly in that time um, is a really huge testament to the people out there actually working on the PCNs. Absolutely. And having the day job, as it were, at the same time. Yeah. Um, and then we've had all these um, additional staff that have come in. And so to begin with, we just had the um, pharmacists and the um, social prescribers, which was quite a sort of easy one. Uh, but now, you know, some PCNs have got quite a large staff and they've got 30 odd people sometimes it's a huge liability for um, practices uh, you know we're often asked about incorporation of PCNs what do you think about that so the staffing is one of the key areas to kind of motivate or to push an incorporation there's no doubt that these are large organisations. You know, if, if you were to set up a business from scratch and say, well, within a few years, you're going to have a multi-million pound turnover of a workforce of you know, 50 plus in some situations, um, that would be 
quite remarkable to do in the time frame, especially if you then put it in the context of a national pandemic and and uh, disaster. Um, now, with the uh, incorporation question, I think this is where people are now saying, are we actually structured to be able to be uh, to be ready for the next stage? Or an initial reactionary stage has passed, mm. uh, and now, well, what is the long-term kind of plan, and mm. how do we actually mm. implement it? Mm. I think many uh, don't really understand some of the advantages of a company. I mean, it's not something that I push onto anybody. Um, you know, as a PCN, should we form a company? I mean, one of the things to remember is that, in fact, the PCN cannot incorporate. Um, and that you remain the contractor as individual practices working together in this sort of rather odd um, way that the uh, PCN uh, network does contracts has been put together. But I think that what you're doing is creating this service company and you companies ever since 1860s, when they first sort of came about, the whole concept about it is limited liability. So that that is a good thing. Um, especially if you're employing a lot of staff and um, dealing with um, a higher level, perhaps, of uncertainty and risk than you're used to as a practice. Not having your own house on the line is perhaps a comfort <laughs> and makes it easier to um, sleep at night. Although there are some complications that come with that, aren't there, when you create that company? Well, it, the formation process itself requires a number of hurdles to be uh, kind of jumped through. There's various regulatory requirements that have to be satisfied. Depending on whether or not you want to be a, a provider company, determines whether or not you also need CQC registration and all the fun and games that come with uh, once you're registered, actually maintaining the registration. Um, there's a, a huge amount of management and responsibility, particularly on the directors. And one of the things I think we frequently had a discussion about with uh, our clients is understanding that if you're stepping into the role of the director, you are acting for that company. So you have to be able to take that hat off from the partnership and put the director uh, you know, hat on for the company. Um, and that's quite a big transition. Um, and it's certainly one which I think kind of mirrors the entire requirement for working at a PCN. Because mm. so, the PCN concept as a whole is you're working together for a neighbourhood, for a locality, and not just for your partnership. Yeah, it is a slight mindset shift, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, directors do have uh, statutory um, responsibilities. Sections uh, 171 to 179 set those out clearly. And um, you need to be mindful of those. Having said that, uh, one can sort of make the things sound much more frightening than it really is, because if you're properly advised and you act, you're not acting fraudulently yeah. or um, anything like that, you know, there are lots and lots of company directors um, over the country um, who have never run into any sort of trouble at all. And there's no reason why a PCN company director should either. Uh, and it is a useful vehicle just to be that legal entity. And maybe looking at the future, it's got, it's, it might have an advantage then as well. Well, one of the recurring themes that we've 
discussed is uh, the concept of trust. Um, and importantly, the trust from um, commissioners to providers. Moving forward, it looks increasingly like the concept of PCN and very much the concept of neighbourhood working is going to be the future of where services are going to be delivered. So on that basis, we ask the question is, will the commissioners trust you to be able to manage that budget, manage the uh, work and manage the, the outcomes that they're looking for uh, in your area? And a vehicle which is properly registered, well run um, and uh, has the experience of pulling together from the practices is something that will give greater confidence for many uh, in yeah, the commissioning world. Absolutely. And going back to the Companies Act, you know, you have got a structure there ready made. I mean, it's a very flexible structure, which is one of the beauties about companies. But the fact that you've got that structure in place um, with your directors on the one hand and your shareholders on the other hand, who don't have to be the same people. So you can have that check and balance mm. and you can hardwire in that company into your network as well as a um, <clears throat> member of the network and your network agreement reflecting the fact that you've got the company and if you mirror the company structure in your network agreement you can avoid a lot of duplication so the board of the network is the same as the board of a company for example uh, and also of course you can open up a bank account as a company uh, so you can sort of get a bit more transparency over the um, finances especially when they change the rules so that the money can go straight into a nominated bank account, which is not the bank account of a, an individual practice. I think for many areas that was a bit of a game changer as it allowed PCNs to actually take full control of the accounts rather than have to piggyback off an individual uh, practice. Uh, and that's one of those areas where I've seen a lot of people going, actually, now that we've freed up the money and put them into a, an account, how do we uh, manage and have the right governance structures around it to give assurances to everybody? Yeah, absolutely. And um, so having that company, I, I mean, I think in the future, when you're looking at the commissioners, they're going to say, well, who am I going to be contracting to? And they're not going to be uh, really thrilled at the thought that they're going to be contracted with essentially a whole lot of partners um, who cover a population of, say, 30 to 50,000, they're, they're going to be more interested in saying, actually, we're, we're going to contract with that single entity. And that single entity might not even be PCN size. It might be the size of what they say at place. So you're talking about a population of 250 to 500, even a million. Um, and that, of course, goes back to the days of federations. <laughs> it does. It all goes cyclical in that way. Uh, I think the difference is that if they commission, and I think we're, we're seeing examples of this, if they commission at that placed level, the question is, how is delivery going to actually occur? And that's where we get back down to the neighbourhood level, mm. uh, the practices working together in with PCNs. Mm. Um, and, and that changes the role of the PCN slightly because it becomes this delivery entity. Mm. Um, there's always been a bit of uh, a lack of clarity, shall we say, as to whether or not the role of the PCN was as a 
provider or as a kind of quasi commissioner mm. at a local level and I think we're seeing slightly less involvement of that at the commissioner part but definitely a growth in the provider role mm. I don't know if that might change in the future mm. with levels of engagement mm. particularly being driven by bringing on the integrated neighborhood mm. team approach mm. uh, that might shift but certainly for the foreseeable future provision is increasingly going to be at scale but at kind of PCN level linked to the practices. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I, I can see that you need a primary care organisation which is covering the same population as the District General Hospital, for example. And, um, and that organisation, let's call it a GP federation, but it could be something else, would then, as you sort of said, sub-commission I mean, in legal terms, subcontract, but subcommission the provision of that service by um, down at the neighbourhood level, and that's where your PCNs come in, and they may even sub subcommission, if you like, um, to practice level, depending on the way that the relationships work. Well, the time for me to ask you a question then, yeah. yes, Justin. But here's a, here's one that we've been thinking about is. What about the role of super practices and and uh, kind of large mergers in any given area? Now, is it worth them also considering incorporation, or have they got sufficient structure that they won't necessarily need to? It depends very much on what that super practice wants to do and how it wants to evolve. I mean, some of them have become PCNs in themselves because they they're geographically centred, and. Um, for them to incorporate seems to make quite a lot of sense because they're being incorporated PCA um, and quite a powerful um, unit. Um, where the, they've got practices which are in different PCNs, it becomes a bit more complicated mm. because um, as far as funding is concerned and, uh, and so on, um, and um, they might want to continue to be structured as partnerships. Um, as opposed to being a corporate body, which is then um, in uh, various different uh, PCNs. There's also um, an issue that we come across where if you've got an incorporated practice in an area which has got a GP federation that then wants to take on a GMS contract, um, the regulations don't allow that incorporated company to be a shareholder in the GP federation. Um, to, uh, for to hold a GMS contract. I mean, that is a quirk of the regulations, but I'm afraid that's where we are until perhaps they change the um, nature of primary care contracts. It's worth mentioning at this moment that, of course, the Health and Social Care Act allows for the creation of primary care trusts. Now, not to be confused with PCTs <laughs> that we had under the 2012 Act, prior to the 2012 Act, but um, those primary care trusts could be NHS trusts which are carrying out um, what you might call GP services. So um, see that as a challenge or perhaps or, or a threat to your area, I don't know. But just, just being aware that there is that uh, prospect of a legal entity um, and that that sort of circulates around the argument of GPs being employed by the NHS. It comes back to that discussion about first called horizontal integration, which has been going on 
feels like forever to be honest but it's it there is certainly a vehicle for it i think everybody saw in the uh, media not too long ago there seemed to be some uh, political um, support for particular models and then those models themselves have had problems subsequently uh, but it does raise various questions about as an entity at a pcn level the level of engagement that you're seeking from those uh, from your community providers, your uh, acute providers, your mental health providers, it is difficult for them. They yeah. don't have the resources. That's been a recurring theme. They don't have the resources to work with every single PCN at the level of strategic uh, and service redesign that would be um, preferable. Um, and that pushes it back to the argument that there needs to be some sort of place-based structure mm. that can then filter down into um, mm. uh, PCNs and, and then onto, uh, into the practices. Mm. So I think that the future of PCNs is bright. It's a, very important that they are well-structured, well-run, have um, good what we call corporate governance and financial governance and clinical governance surrounding them that there's a decision-making process which avoids disputes or resolves disputes um, as quickly and amicably as possible, and that they have the um, confidence to take on the contracts for their population and deliver those um, well. Yeah, very much so. I, I think the key question really is whether or not PCNs will continue with that branding. Um, I think there might be a shift towards neighbourhood uh, teams um, or something similar, but at its very heart, collaborative working amongst uh, practices in a defined geographical area is not going anywhere. Mm. Um, and if you are minded to formalise that in the form of an incorporation or some other um, entity, then I think you'd be in a very strong position to have the kind of building blocks for what will come in the future, even if maybe if the names might need to change slightly. Yeah, absolutely. And then also you're, you've got an entity which can go to, say, social uh, the council or social services team, mental health teams and so on, and say, look, you need to co collaborate with us, this entity. Um, and partly, you know, the importance of keeping... GP services at the heart of health and social care, because it's GPs in the end who know the individuals and the families that need help and support um, to live um, long and healthy lives. And I guess to build on that, we've talked about a, a lot about how PCNs will fit in the new system, but actually at their heart, they have an essential role with their community uh, and supporting their practices. Mm. Um, when the uh, concept was first announced in 2019, there was a lot of uh, discussion about, well, how do these health practices? And I think it's fair to say it's been variable and mixed results on that front. Uh, but as they've developed further and more kind of integrated working, shared teams, shared ways of of delivering services um, and shared ways of delivering support to your communities, as they've evolved and they've developed, they've really helped practices to secure kind of their position. Um, there's still a long way to go, though. 
yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And people develop at different paces. Thank you, Robert. It's been really um, interesting uh, discussing about this today. And I hope um, those of you who have listened to this podcast have enjoyed it. Do contact us or any of our team in uh, Newcastle, Harrogate, Manchester, London or Southampton. And we would be absolutely delighted to hear from you and to help you prepare for the changes which are no doubt coming about. Thank you. Thank you.